Welcome to the Real Estate Reserve Podcast with your hosts, Jason Balin and Ian Horowitz. Hey, 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 what's going on? What's <laughs> up, Always, always jamming, always jamming to the theme music. I like it. I like it. I don't know what to tell you. So, all right, um, all right. Well, well, we got a fun. We're gonna have a really, really good uh, show going on today. Today's April twenty fourth, Friday. If you're just tuning in for the first time, we always timestamp all of our shows because, hey, things have been changing so rapidly here in the local real estate investing space. So we want to make sure you know some stuff we talked about yesterday may potentially change. Uh, tomorrow. So we want to make sure we do this. So this is what we got on the show today. Uh, we have Jerry Lotz that's going to hop on and talk about cost segregation. Uh, honestly, a very new um, yeah, topic for me. I had actually never heard of it. Uh, but when Ian explained it to me a few days ago related to uh, potentially decreasing your uh, the time that it takes to uh, depreciate one of your assets, like one of your rental properties, I was intrigued. So uh, Jerry's going to hop on here in a second. Uh, and then we got some stuff, we, and we have a case study and a presentation to go through to make it very, very uh, self-explanatory <laughs> so you understand it. Uh, and then we've got a few other industry news uh, to, to go through as well. So, all right, let's bring Jerry on real quick, and we will uh, go from there. Hey, guys. <laughs> Jerry, what's up, man? Pleasure to be here with you all today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So I recently met Jerry through our accountant just a short time ago, a few months ago. And it's a, it's a strategy that's really opened my eyes. Um, and I thought it was super important to bring him on here. We're actively going through. Uh, yes, Brian Dick. Thank you. I will turn my camera off. Um, I'm, actively, uh, I'm actively going through this process on our portfolio now. Um, a tax strategy I know that's used by some larger investors. Um, and hopefully Jerry will be able to walk us through it because I still have trouble understanding it. I get what I'm doing, but it's always good to hear it again. So he's going to do a case study um, for us. So Jerry, just a quick background about uh, who you are and where you're from and how you got involved, I guess, in cost segregation. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a Baltimorean through and through. I uh, lived in Baltimore all my life. I come from a medical sales background, traveled extensively, uh, but Baltimore has always been my home. And when the medical career was uh, winding down, uh, and even during that time, I always had a passion for, you know, thought I could do something on my own. And uh, when the medical career was winding down, I was first introduced to networking, met a lot of folks, and actually came across the people that I do a lot of my work for right now. So I, I work for myself, just like you guys and a lot of our listeners out there. And... Uh, I represent a few different companies. Uh, the 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 mission behind what I do is is tax savings and cost savings. So uh, a few years back, when I met the folks at CSSI Cost Segregation Services Incorporated out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I was just thoroughly impressed. the 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 integrity, the uh, you know, the fact that they've been around for eighteen years or so and completed projects on well over 20,000 properties across every state in the country, um, just spoke to the integrity of what they do. So I decided to take a trip down, met with their folks, and um, yeah, couldn't be any more pleased. They have my back. They have the backs of you know the, the, the clients that I'm working for, the building owners, and certainly the tax professionals that we work for as well. So um, 
yeah, that's perfect. Perfect way to start. So, yeah. uh, if yeah, you wanna... yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, why don't you just explain maybe in a you know 20 seconds, 30 second, 30 second elevator pitch of exactly what cost segregation is? Okay, so typically, well, cost segregation is taking a building and segregating the assets that make up to that up that building. There are some assets that are more structural that will remain to be depreciated over a 39-year timeline for commercial buildings, for residential rental properties, multifamily properties, that's 27 and a half years. But there are other intrinsic assets that make up that building. Maybe it's carpets, cabinets, countertops, uh, special electric, special plumbing that can be carved out of that 39-year asset and put into a five, seven, or 15-year category. So somebody's got a, just use a $275,000, um, you know, two apartment rental. Uh, you're, you're depreciating $10,000 every year for 27 and a half years till you fully depreciate that building. But in that building, there may be $10,000, dollars $70,000 worth of those assets that can be pulled out and depreciated much more quickly. So cost segregation, pulling those assets out, gives that building owner more deductions early on up front to offset their income. So they significantly reduce their tax burden. Right. And this is a strategy, um, I guess it's commonly used a lot more in commercial real estate. That's why a lot of us single family real estate investors don't see it as much. Or is it something new or how did this originate? Good, good question. Good question. So back in the late 90s and 2000 or so, there was a landmark court case, uh, Hospital Corporation of America against the IRS. Uh, Hospital Corporation of America won that case, and that really put cost segregation on the map. Now, interestingly enough, the guy who's the president of CSSI, the company for whom I work, was commissioned by the attorney that won that case to come up with formal protocol to bring cost segregation to a level that people could really access. So when it first came out, it was truly for the big four accounting firms, the mega million dollar complexes. But now through experience and technology, we can find oftentimes value in buildings, you know, and, and um, single family homes and things a couple hundred thousand dollars and above. Right. Yep. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I guess this is the uh, Jim Shreve is the one that you were talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. Jim is the owner of the company. Um, just uh, I can't say it enough. Just a kind of a salt of the earth kind of a guy and has taken his personality and culture and ingrained that and just kind of attracted other like people. Um, you know, I, I can call one of our VPs and access them immediately to you know, if there's a question, if one of the tax professionals that we're working with has a question, we'll hop on a call and work through things. Um, they're just great people. Okay. So, um, yeah, no. And so far from what we've dealt with, it's, it's been awesome. And, you know, we're learning. And I guess this is where we get into the nuts and bolts. I know we skipped yeah. the slides, but we've, we've kind of figured out who you are. But it's okay. Sure. You know, just for me, you know, sometimes it's easier for me to chew up the information. The way I understand cost segregation, and, you know, maybe you can dive deeper, is, you know, normally you just put all your cost basis into the property, you re rehab, you buy a property, you rehab it, say you're all in for 100 grand. 
and then you just appreciate it for 27 and a half years and most people don't even think about it right. this allows us actually to pull out some of those things reduce our cost bases but take those advantages up front and uh i guess you know is that kind of the best understanding of it yes it is yeah that's a great understanding so in this formal slide there's a formal uh, i guess explanation of what cost sure. segregation it's really the process analyzing and identifying those components that are eligible for accelerated depreciation and all that's done in accordance with irs guidelines uh the end result being cash flow typically for every million dollars worth of a property we end up finding anywhere from 50 to eighty thousand dollars in tax savings for every million dollars worth of a property so okay. if, if you want to hop the next slide yep that's fine we can go okay so I, I like to explain cost segregation using the analogy of a Big Mac. Everybody's familiar with the jingle, all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese. McDonald's made a ton of money using that jingle. And that's so appropriate for what we do. If you think of a Big Mac and think of it as a building as a whole, and then think of what we talked about straight line depreciation, where you take that whole building and break it into equal increments over 27 and a half or 39 years. So the Big Mac or the building as a whole is really the hamburger. What we do is put values on the all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions. And that's how we segregate a building by breaking that property down into its assets. Yeah, I, I love I love that analogy. When I, I got to peek at your slides beforehand. I, that's where it really starts to make sense, you know. It's almost like the sales pitch or what you're taking apart from it. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's fun to to uh, actually have a Big Mac box live on a on a exhibit table somewhere. I do a lot of work with uh, tax professionals and spend a lot of time yeah. at their conferences, and I'll have a Big Mac there, and you know, I get a lot of funny comments. Well, is that breakfast, lunch, or dinner? What are you doing with that? Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, th th this next slide really kind of gives you a breakdown of some of those assets that can fall in that five and seven year category uh, and then into the 15 year category. Even the lines on the parking lot um, are part of what goes into some of those 15 year assets and that can be depreciated more quickly. Right. And just so for the people that are listening at home, because this is going to replay for people on podcasts or if you want to revisit this, your five to seven stuff is your decorative elements, your electrical, yes. some of your electrical stuff, carpets, cabinets, security, communication, and 15-year stuff, landscaping, paving, fencing, more of your big ticket items. And while we're here on this slide, I'm going to ask you a quick question. I don't know if we're going to get into this later, but there's just some items, like I don't, I don't notice windows on here. There's just some items or roofs. There's certain ones of those things you can't advance the depreciation. It's still going to be 27 and a half or 39 years depending what type of building you're in is that a true statement yeah that's a a, a reasonable statement sure yeah Real okay true statement yep so uh and a lot of those you know major structural components like that now uh just because you can't advance necessarily the depreciation on some of those things doesn't mean that there are not other tax strategies that you may be able to use when thinking about replacing those things Right, and, and that's getting a little further into the weeds, and I don't want to, you know, for for our purposes today, won't go too far there. Well, it, it, Jerry, is the logic behind 
uh, some of these shorter term depreciating assets is because it's the life expectancy or closer to the life expectancy of these particular things. And for instance, you know, if you if you put flooring in place, you know, chances are you might not have the same flooring for 27 and a half years. You might need to turn it over multiple times. Yeah, there's some of that logic in place. Um, but it really um, it goes back to, you know, I guess the Bible of this is which is part of the IRS tax code. So, you know, they, they've used some logic in, in determining some of those factors. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's really all we can go by at this point. Right. And not to derail you too far off of this presentation, because I want to keep it moving, but is there a difference between the words accelerated depreciation and bonus depreciation? Uh, yes, there is. That's a great question. Um, there are a couple different types of bonus depreciation. Um, if you want to hop to the next slide. Oh, yeah. See, I'm ahead of myself. That's okay. That's okay. And the, the Tax Cut and Job Act 2016-17 really kind of uh, says that you can take bonus depreciation, which is at 100%, on a lot of those items that you actually put into an accelerated depreciation category. See, but before the Tax Cut and Job Act, um, we had the opportunity of placing, you know, identifying and valuating assets that could fall into a five, seven or 15 year class life. And that's what we did. If we had $100,000 worth of carpet that was in five years, we would write off $20,000 every year for five years until we've written that off. Now the IRS with the Tax Cut and Job Act says that anything that's in five, seven or 15 year categories can be written off 100%, which is huge. It's unbelievable. I, I, let me, I'll digress for just a quick second here. One of my favorite stories um, is, a, is a guy, now this is a commercial property, a guy that uh, owns uh, probably a dozen Dunkin' Donuts and spent uh, a million two in building another property. So here he spends a million two back in 2018 beautiful parking lot landscape state-of-the-art interior canopies drive-throughs of that million two we came in and provided a study to break out assets and found six hundred thousand dollars that could be written off in that first year wow. so he's looking with all those properties that he's got he's looking at paying taxes that year on seven hundred thousand dollars worth of income so we just cut his tax exposure to only a hundred thousand dollars worth of income now that he's paying taxes on it. Yeah, that, that's where I view the power in this study. Yeah, uh, is that <clears throat> that's where that's where it really comes in is your really potential of reducing your AGI. Um, yeah. Now with the bonus depreciation, so that's <clears throat> so everything that was in to summarize that in five, seven, and fifteen years, there's a potential you can just take it the year you do this study if you so choose. That's correct. If if that property was placed in service after September 27th, 2017, because that's when the Tax Cut and Job Act was in effect. Okay. That makes and, and it actually works. Um, it doesn't have to be brand new property. So it doesn't have to be something just bought. If you, uh, I mean, just built. If you bought something that was 100 years old and you bought it after September 27th, you know, or into 2018 and beyond, those assets that can be recategorized could be depreciated 100% that first year. 
Right. Yeah. And that's so everyone knows that's all we do is we we renovate properties. We don't sure. do any construction. So this is why it didn't apply to us. Right. Um, and I think you got a pretty good study here. If you want to walk us through it. Yes. Yeah. This is uh, just another example. And this specifically um, is on a multifamily type of a property. So the building cost, it was acquired in 2018, January. The building only, not the land, but the building was at $2.2 million. Using that straight line 27 and a half year uh, depreciation model, in that first year, they would have been able to expense or depreciate $76,670. The next year, they would have added another full year's worth of depreciation to that. And then by 2023, they would have accumulated $476,000 in depreciation expense. So, so this is, um, in this case study, um, we give estimates of, when we look at a property, we would give an estimate of how much depreciation we can find. Uh, so we estimated that they would be able to depreciate not $76,000, but an extra $528,000 would go into that five, seven, and 15 year category combined and qualify for that 100% bonus depreciation. So the increase in depreciation in that first year, and they get their big bang for their buck because they're getting 100% in that first year, the increase in the amount of depreciation that we find totally is about $509,000 worth of extra depreciation using a segregated model as opposed to a straight line model. And at a 37% tax bracket, that client is saving $188,000 in taxes. So they don't have to stroke a check to the IRS for $188,000 worth of taxes. Now, now that is on a, you know, for an active real estate investor. So somebody who is, you know, actively in the market that classifies themselves and with their accountant as an active full-time real estate investor, they would be able to take those deductions and apply that to their real estate income. Uh, right. Somebody who may be a, a doctor, for example, and decide to buy a beach condo and rent it out during the summer, um, they could still do this, but they could only apply their extra deductions to the income that's generated from that specific property. They could not offset their doctor income by you know renting one or two properties like this. Yeah, that makes complete mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Uh, and so in this example, under the alternative method, they're taking 528 in year one, and then the total in 2023, instead of being 476, they're at almost 890 in cumulative depreciation. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So you're talking about, I mean, my God, $414,000 of added depreciation or out of added reduction in taxes that they potentially had to pay. So that's huge. Uh, yeah, if that much extra depreciation that translates into, yes, a huge number in tax liability, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, there's the, the CARES Act. Everybody's heard a lot of hype about that. It's in the news all the time. There were a few hidden things in that CARES Act that are very, very, that most people don't hear about. 
uh, that are very, very pertinent for building owners. Um, back in the Tax Cut and Job Act, when Congress defined what's called as QIP or quality improvement property, uh, they uh, they clarified how they defined that in the Tax Cut and Job Act. And now anything that can be identified as what's called an interior improvement of a commercial building. So this doesn't have anything to do with residential rental or multifamily properties, but QIP is on the commercial side. But anything that was identified as QIP can now be depreciated at uh, 15 percent. I mean, uh, in the 15 year property, which can be depreciated 100 percent. So and then the, the, the other big thing that may have um, um, yeah, resonate well with a lot of our listeners is this carry back of a no operating net operating law. So if somebody had profitable years in 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 and 19, um, they could actually perform one of these studies on one of the, on a property or multiple properties in 19 and end up with way more deductions to offset their income from 19 and then take those leftover deductions or expenses and retroactively apply them to profitable years, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and potentially get tax refunds on those years. So that's huge as well. Yeah, that's, uh, that's huge. And to be clear, in that study that you were doing up here, had they not right. been able to use the five hundred nine thousand dollars in year one, they could, normally you would carry it forward to year twenty twenty if we were or, yeah twenty twenty one. But now you're saying they can potentially use this as look back to offset old income. Yes, exactly. Got yeah. it. So um, when you look at cost segregation, um, who qualifies and who benefits? Basically, it's anybody that owns property buildings um and a lot of people that even lease property um we do a number of uh projects for people who uh go into strip centers and the landlord gives them a hundred thousand dollars toward their build out they spend another two hundred thousand dollars of additional money or you know that they're spending that's theirs to um to really build out the space and we go in and segregate the $200 worth of assets that they've spent on their own money. So a lot of leaseholders can benefit from this as well. And just about any type of uh, building that's out there. I mean, we've done, you know, a lot of multifamily, a lot of self-storage, a lot of r restaurants, uh, cannabis farms, refineries, just about anything you can think of can benefit. Any, any business that has real estate, right? Any what? Any business that you know resides or utilizes real estate in their business that they lease or they own. Yes. I mean, does yeah. it make does it make sense potentially for? I mean, because obviously you know there's time and costs associated with doing this. I, I I'm not sure if this is something that you know a normal CPA can just do on an investor's behalf, or if they have to retain companies like yours in order to help them. But is this something that makes sense for you know a, a single? a uh, real estate investor that might have a few properties, one or two properties, or maybe 10 properties, because uh, assuming, you know, obviously you have to look based on, you know, cost, time, savings to see if sure. it's see if it's worth retaining that. I mean, is there clients that do it on a one-off basis? Um, or, or usually, like, what's the, thresh the threshold that makes sense? Um, 
Well, the the property size threshold or value threshold, uh, we typically say anything two hundred thousand dollars and above. But we, you know, we'll bend a little bit from there. So, um, you know, I've done studies in the hundred and fifty thousand dollar property building value and above. Um, as a company, CSSI has done you know, $150,000 condo up to billion plus dollar resorts. So it's really a matter of allowing a company to, uh, you know, a cost segregation company to run what's called a pre-analysis. Now, um, we do that all day long. Uh, there's there's no charge to have that done. And it really, it, it, it gives a, you know, best guess estimate based on us taking that specific property, benchmarking it up against, you know, the segment of those 20,000 plus properties that are fit into a similar category and then coming back with some numbers to say, hey, this project is going to generate potentially $20,000 in tax savings and the after tax cost for us to do the work is going to be $3,000. So, you know, I, I oftentimes say, well, if you had $3,000, and went to Las Vegas and came back with twenty thousand dollars. Would that be a good day for you? Yeah. So, Do, uh, so, so you're saying a hundred thousand dollars in improvements or a hundred thousand dollar property value? Let's say I buy a property for a hundred thousand. I'm just trying to use a standard deal on a one-off sure. deal uh, because yep. most of our lit viewers are, um, you know, residential real estate investors. Let's say they buy a property for a hundred thousand dollars. They put $50,000 into it and they hold it as a rental. And that's just one deal. I'm not, and let's say they do multiple deals. I'm guessing if they just do one in particular, it might not make sense. But as they do multiple ones. Um, I would love an opportunity to run the numbers. Um, you know, one is depending on how long they've had it. Uh, this is something that uh, does not have to be. Uh, engage when somebody first buys a property. There's opportunities to go back, even if somebody's bought it, you know, two, three, five, seven years ago, and r run some numbers and see if it makes sense. Um, makes sense to do that. So it's really somebody buys a building. So if they pay a hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the uh, for the package, a hundred thousand dollars is designated towards building. Then they put another sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars in improvements in that. All of a sudden, now that building basis is a hundred plus the, that fifty, sixty, seventy, whatever, and that certainly is um, you know something worth taking a look at. And, and and do you think that most you know most clients that you work with you know you're probably working directly with their CPAs as well. Do the CPAs grasp this and under and understand the concept of it? Uh, it's funny. I, I work with a lot of, uh, you know, tax professionals and that's part of what, what we do. We, um, you know, we're the engineering based calculation company that gives the tax professionals the numbers to apply to the return. So we, we give yep. credence to the numbers that they apply to return. A lot of, um, tax professionals, uh, over the years, um, have adopted this. Uh, a lot of them have kind of turned a blind eye to it. A lot, a number of them had said, "Well, I can pick off certain pieces of low-hanging fruit, and you know, accelerate some things." And some of them are pretty darn good at it. Um, but the, having an engineering-based company that is using, you know, customized and some very sophisticated and 
off-the-shelf software combinations to uh, you know to figure this all out um, really adds credence to the to the process. Um, those, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say uh, not to cut you off, but is there a there's a form like when you guys do this? There's a form that's then sent. Is that something that you know is good for audit purposes? You know, if you start showing these crazy depreciations, like is there something that someone specifically has to do, or can they just go to their accountant and say? Hey, I want to do this. You know, uh, if somebody goes to their accountants and said, "Hey, hey, I've heard of cost segregation. I've got you know a couple properties. What do you think?" And hopefully, between the accountant and the client, they'll say, "Well, yeah, these properties you put a hundred, you bought it for a hundred, you put another eighty or a hundred thousand dollars into it. Let's let somebody run an estimate on the benefits." So then. You know, a, a cost segregation company could run the estimates and we, they might estimate, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars in extra depreciation and a cost of, you know, four or five thousand dollars to do the project. Right. And um, oh, that is another thing that I noticed in your package is that the fee to actually do this is actually something that can be written down as well against your income. Um, I think is something that was included when we were right. looking at us. Um, just so everybody knows, we went back and actually studied properties that we bought in 2018, I think, 17, 18, somewhere in that, that we're going back and looking at now. And we picked out out of our portfolio, we only picked out four or five properties, a few single families at a small apartment building and a warehouse that we own. Um, and I'll tell you guys why we did that in a second. But um, I forget where I was going. This is why I don't, this is why I shouldn't talk. I apologize, Jerry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we were we were doing a look back, and the reason we're okay with pulling out just a few, our cost basis on a lot of our properties are actually well below the one hundred and fifty threshold, um, right. and the ones that do meet it, and, and that's kind of where my question's going. I guess is um, if in the event, like, so if you advance all this depreciation or you take bonus depreciation in is it is there a possibility in year 10 if you don't acquire anything else that you have you have exposure now to taxes you know what i mean like that's a good question um so you're only taking bonus depreciation typically on you know those five seven fifteen year assets and um you're still always going to have a large portion of that property that's going to remain in that 27 and a half year um, depreciable category. So there will you, but, but you're getting that money up front on those five, seven, 15 year assets. So what can you do with that money today to make more money? Right. 100%. That's the key. You're, you're never going to run out of depreciation until that building's fully depreciated because you're still always going to have the basic construction that's going to remain in that 27 and a half year timeline. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If anyone else has got any questions for Jerry, feel free to pop them up. Um, I did see someone asking if there will be a replay or recording. Um, this is always up on Facebook, YouTube, uh, on all of our channels. You can also find us at realestatereservepodcast.com. All the podcasts are up there, along with we're on iTunes, Stitchers, Lisbon, you name it. You can find, you'll be able to find this somewhere, shape, or form. Um, <laughs> But uh, no, it's a real interesting concept. And when it was presented to me, you're like, no, there's no way this is possible. You're just going to screw yourself down the line. But, you know, when you really look at it, especially now that you can do look back on past taxes, I mean, 
you could literally wind up getting a refund refund check if you have enough depreciation to carry backwards, right? With the Correct. carry, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean the thing to me is it makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of logic behind uh, behind this in general, right? Um, you know, the whole thing, the whole thing related to 27 and a half years. Like I under, I do understand, even though it's obviously not in any of our favor. But I do, I do understand their concept behind it. But you know, in order to depreciate some of these some uh, you know portion of these assets over a, a quicker period of time you know i do believe there's logic behind that which which is good i but you know and that being said i think the the play really would be is to you know look internally inside your own portfolio and you know see if you've done major improvements or if you you know if, if it makes sense to potentially do it and then maybe reach out to jerry and have him want, run whatever you whatever you call that jerry your pre Pre-analysis, yeah. Pre-analysis to see if it makes sense because, you know, if it doesn't make sense, you know, no no harm, no foul. And that's yeah. actually an interesting question I got for you is, say you own a property uh, with expansion that's available on it and you own it and you go to do that expansion. Is it something that you could pick up, say, five years from now and say, 10 years from now and say, hey, I did this expansion. Can you cost seg justice expansion for this new added building that we put on our property? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And there may, may be some advantages of, um, um, you know, just wrapping it all the, the old building with the, the new addition. Sure. Wrapping it all together. Got it. Yeah. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, looks like you got a nice shout out from Pete Belden. I know he has a few Airbnbs that are meet the, meet your threshold. Um, and it's tremendously informative and he'll be reaching out to you. Um, cool. so Jerry, how do we i've got your side up here but what's the best way to get a hold of you and you got anything else for us that you want to leave us with um i just like to say a couple two things uh first off thanks so much um guys for allowing me to participate with you and and um thanks to the audience for uh for listening and engaging we appreciate that um whether a property is newly bought newly built even if it's been owned for a number of years there's a good chance we can find tax savings. I worked for, a, when I was in medical sales, I worked for a boss um, who about quarter to 12, there's a dozen of us or so in the room listening to him and the VPS is up there. Our stomachs are growling. We're hungry as anything though. We can smell the food outside the room. He turns from the whiteboard and cocks his head and he says, you know what? You don't know what you don't know. And I thought about that and all of us, you know, we're saying, what the heck is he talking about? And then the room was silent, but then the light bulb went off. You really don't know what you don't know unless you take a closer look and allow us to run some numbers. So we do this all day long. I'm sure CSSI runs probably five, 6,000 of these pre-analysis reports every year. So Happy to do it. Uh, as far as connecting with me, uh, my cell number usually works quickest, which is 410-960-8269. And my email address, jlotz, L-O-T-Z, at cost, C-O-S-T-S-E-G-E-S.com. I'm in Baltimore, but I'm not geographically bound. I can work with building owners and tax professionals in any state. So yeah. thank you so much. Yes. Thanks, Jerry. Glad, uh, glad you could come on. I hope it, you know everybody found value in this and uh, 
look forward to getting our portfolio done with you. Perfect. Thanks. Have a great Thanks, weekend. Jerry. Appreciate it. See you, Jerry. Yeah. Still gonna all, feel all, backwards. <laughs> yeah, that is true. No, all good stuff. I mean, I, I like presentations like that. I believe that there's a lot of value to uh, most of the audience uh, because they're all real estate investors. And right now seems to be uh, rental properties seem to be a very good strategy. Not that flipping houses or, or other strategies aren't still very strong in this market, but I think a lot of people are, are gearing up towards doing more longer term assets. Um, you know, who knows if that's going to happen or not. But I think that's I think that seems to be the trend that a lot of people want to jump into more rental properties or continue to expand their rental portfolios. And this is a good way to do it. And, you know, I think it makes sense. I, I believe there's actually a lot of logic behind this, this cost segregation. And I don't believe that I've heard this concept before in the past, but I think it makes sense. I mean, certainly for someone like you, Ian, it makes sense because that's the core part of your business and you guys have so many of them. And, you know, the thing is, is when you do one of these pre-evaluations, what, what makes sense is keep in mind, you don't need to utilize you know, go all, in, go all in on that strategy, right? You determine what makes the most sense. Some people, um, you know, I believe when we were talking, Ian, you only have like two or three buildings that you're going to utilize, um, you know, some of this for because you'll be able to depreciate, you know, a big chunk of that uh, to off, you know, to offset gains uh, over the next few few years. Yeah, exactly. We're doing. Uh, I think we're doing four or five um, after it was all said and done. You know, because my big fear, and I'll be straight up honest with everybody, my fear was that um, we go and bonus depreciate everything, and then five, ten years from now, and now we got this major tax exposure. But at least we know what the taxes are today. Um, but after talking with Jerry and, and our tax accountant, I mean, honestly, this is something you need to work with your accountant and a company like his, or if you're going to do it on your own, work with your accountant and say this is what I'm doing. Um, and like you said put it in your toolbox, man. You don't need to use it on every single deal. Just have it as a toolbox. And the other nice thing is I know we got a lot of business owners on here. I mean, just what he was talking about, you know, if you own a, you know, if you sell flooring and you have a showroom and you're building out your showroom and you're leasing the property, you can do a cost seg study and get um, available depreciation and um, other tax advantages by doing the study. So I thought it was interesting that you're able to utilize it in a, in a few different fields besides just real estate, real estate, real estate, which we do, we only do, which we usually only talk about, but I know we do have a lot of business owners on here. Um, you know, like, I mean, think about your uh, buddy that runs all those uh, like patient first type places. It'd be probably a great thing for him to utilize, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. No, it makes sense. It's good. It's good to know. Um, what else do we got in the news right now before we uh, uh, hop off and potentially introduce what's going on next week? Did we talk about it yesterday that they uh, they passed the um, the second PPP act? I don't think we did, but yes, I saw that. Yeah, and I'm sure I, and late to the game on that. So, yeah, um, you know, it was exciting during the first one, and then it was like, okay, cool, they passed another one, great. Um, but I mean, that's helped. That's helped so many people because so many, you know, a lot of it, you know, there's been so much advice out there related to do it through your local bank, your local bank, your local bank. Not that there hasn't been a humongous portion of funds getting distributed through Bank of America's and the Wells Fargo's of the world. But it's just that through your local bank, you can get more personalized service. Um, and it looks like a lot of these banks now are taking outside customers and not just banking customers to do it. So that's helpful. Um, one other thing I was going to bring up that I that I was bombarded via email with uh, today, which I'm happy about, is a lot of new updates with ESTAT, um, State Department Assessment and Taxation, uh, In if you're in Maryland. You know, they're 
there's a lot of more online tools that they're offering now, uh, especially related to, you know, creating new entities online, uh, reinstating oh, your entities online, thing, things like that. Um, I mean, I know you can, used to be able to create an entity online. I don't know about the reinstatement part. That's I'm looking at it now. That was one thing that I think they put out there because, you know, you go to settle on a property or you go to settle on a loan and then you realize, you know, your personal property tax what wasn't paid and and past due. And again, all it is is, you know, typically paying the filing fee of 300 bucks uh, a year. Um, but you used to have to go down there and, and deal with that on Preston Street. And that was just a pain in the neck for so many people. And I. I actually am not sure if that's new or not. It just looks like based on this email that you can reinstate everything now completely online. So I'm glad Maryland business services um, are you know, more, more online. And I think that is somewhat the interesting part of where this whole epidemic uh, has gone with uh, tools and resources more online instead of in person. And, you know, obviously no one hopes that in-person stuff in general disappears because I don't think it will. And I don't think that's good for anybody, but it is good to have resources and, you know, they're putting resources uh, in place right now in order to make a lot more things online, you know, in the school systems, uh, business resources, uh, real estate resources, things like that. So I was, yeah. uh, I was kind of happy to see some of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the email too. Some of these things, I think you can already do them online, but they're presenting them as 14 new online services to so take advantage of it. And hopefully it is here to stay. I, I think we've talked about it a lot, that a lot of things have been antiquated and this is forcing the hand to bring everybody up in today's current um, climate of technology. So um, I think it's good for everybody involved. Uh, you know, it sucks that this is the way it had to come about, but at least it's coming about. I heard an interesting stat yesterday. I was listening to a fund manager who owns, I think, somewhere upwards of $100 million or $150 million worth of commercial or multifamily assets. He said in their facilities, now granted they're not here, but they've seen a major uptick in new move-ins uh, via virtual online move-ins. Um, I'd be, I'm interested. I've put an email to the guy, see if he's willing to jump on and talk about it, um, but he said they had 22 move-ins across their portfolio, or maybe it was across one property, he said, which is huge for them. You know, they averaged 10. Um, so people are still moving and shaking from what we can tell, um, and things are slowly reopening, so. Sure. Um, cool. But, uh, uh, so I think so. I think next week we have a real estate agent, some more, I, I like I like bringing real estate agents in. Uh, I, I, and the reason why is, you know, obviously, like I like to see what real estate investors are doing in general, but like real estate agents talk to a lot of people. You know, they always have a book of business with buyers and sellers, potentially tenants and things like that. Um, you know, most of the agents in general are a little bit more reliant on accessing properties, uh, you know, with showings with buyers and things like that. So I like to see if how they're adapting to this. Not that real estate investors are not, but typically, it just seems like, you know, agents are a little bit more on front line. So we have some agents coming in and we've got a few extra, some other real estate investing guests as well. And then we don't have our case study lined up for next Friday, but we've been doing case studies similar to this uh, related uh, to deals in the past that we were involved in. I know this one we weren't, haven't done before, but, you know, the previous weeks we've been doing real case studies of deals that either we lent on or Ian's purchased or other members of our group. Uh, our viewers have been watching because case studies and storytelling, like those are the best deals to to learn from. That's just the easiest way to learn is when people 
tell a story about an, a real life experience they had and how the numbers shook out. So we'll make, we'll continue to make sure we do that on Fridays. Well, I see, uh, I see Pete Belden's watching. I know he's been swamped because he's in the medical field, but please, Pete, Tom, you're taking off next Friday. I would love to show everybody your case study on your Airbnbs, <clears throat> great they were doing and how you quickly changed gears to fill your Airbnb. So you weren't caught holding the bag. Um, he did something very interesting and I would love for him to jump on here. So we're, I'm waiting for Pete to do that. I know he's just swamped, um, dealing with supply issues and I see Brian Dick. If you're still on here, I'm calling you out to jump on here and hop on here and tell us how your business is going. I know you flip a lot of high end properties in the Baltimore area. I'd love to hear, um, how your business has changed. So, was your camera off? I didn't even realize. Oh, you saying turn it off because he can't stand to look at me. So he was messing. Oh, 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 got it. God, it. it took me 45 minutes to realize that. Someone was making fun of me. You didn't pick that up right away. Uh, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't put it together. My head was in another place. What your target? So I, I, I wasn't thinking about that. So what, um, I, what's the big plans, man? You got any big plans for the weekend? It's supposed to be nice out. Is it? Uh, let's see. 64 tomorrow, man. We got to do something. I'd say go golfing, but we can't do that here. Well, we get, I mean, we can play, uh, we, we can play our online golf game that we got. I do have it over here. Um, I mean, I've been, I, I play here and there. All right. Well, I think we should do a Saturday recap on Instagram tomorrow. I think it's always good. And, uh, yep, we'll do. Yep. Follow us on Hard Money Bankers, uh, on Instagram or what's your Instagram? Equity <laughs> underscore. Yep. Equity underscore warehouse? Yeah, I think so. Yep. Got it. All right, everybody. Check you later. Check you later. Thanks for tuning in to the Real Estate Reserve Podcast. Do us a favor and like, comment, and share our broadcast. It helps the algorithm and helps us spread the word too. Till next time, thank you for tuning in.